Hello guys and girls and welcome back to another episode of Seb Talk Sports. That intro music and podcast theme was created by all pro New York Giants running back, now music creator and friend of the show, David Wilson. Go and check him out on all of his social media platforms at 4stillrunning on Twitter and Instagram and his music under David E. Wilson across all good music streaming services. He's free for business so drop him a message if you want some beats for your podcast, advert, commercial, absolutely anything you need. Before I get into this episode I just want to say that if you're not already following Seb Talk Sports across all platforms then please do you can find me on facebook seb talk sports youtube seb talk sports twitter at seb talk sports and instagram where i'm primarily active again it's at seb talks sports today i've got an incredible guest a seven-year guard who played over a hundred games for my favorite team the jacksonville jaguars and was a key offensive lineman who allowed quarterback david garrard and running back maurice jones drew to succeed in duval it's fan favorite uche waneri enjoy My guest today is a former seven-year offensive guard who played no fewer than 104 games for my Jacksonville Jaguars and allowed Pro Bowl quarterback David Garrard and three-time All-Pro Maurice Jones-Drew to do their thing. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Uche Winery to Seb Talk Spots. Uche, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I appreciate it. How how you been doing? How you doing over there across the pond? <laughs> yeah, we're all good here. All good. I hope you're staying safe and looking forward to getting into it. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to, to chopping it up with you and talking some football. Let's do it. Okay, so I want to go right back to the beginning of your career, the very, very beginning. So what would you say were your earliest memories of both watching and playing football? And at what point did you know you could play as a career? All right, so this, this is, a, <laughs> this is a, a bit of an of a, of a out there story, I guess. I mean, maybe other people have had the same kind of experience. I don't know. But my first time ever touching a football, I was maybe like four or five years old. I remember this vividly <laughs> because it was like <laughs> – it was slightly traumatizing, but at the same time, it was like, it was, it was that moment when I knew it was the sport I wanted to play. Hmm. Um, I was about five years old. First time with a football, my, my parents got, got, got me a football and me and my brother were in front of our apartments uh, in the middle. There's a big open field in front of our apartment complex. And uh, we were just, you know, throwing the ball back and forth, throwing it back and forth. My dad uh comes walking out of the apartment building he's walking to his car to go to work in the morning and uh and 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 he's like literally about to walk into the street to go to his car in the parking lot and he turns around you know my parents are nigerian so football to them is soccer to us but Mm. my parents also love football like our football so my dad tells me to throw him the ball (laughs) i throw him the ball and and i'm like Throw it back, Dad. Throw it back. <laughs> and he punts the ball. He <laughs> kicks it to me. And it beelines straight to my face and bounces off my forehead. And I go leaning back. And I'm like, whoa. And my dad is walking to He's like looking at me. And he starts laughing and chuckling. And then he keeps walking to his car. And for some reason, with that ball bouncing off my forehead, I decided that that uh, was the moment that I wanted to be a football player. And I, the first time I ever saw it actually on TV was it was a 49ers game. I, mm. I think they were playing against the Rams. I'm not sure, but it was the gold helmets mm. that drew me in immediately. And from there, you know, my favorite team was the 49ers growing up. And, you know, at that point, I knew I wanted to play football. 
Nice. And then obviously, if we move forward a little bit to your college career, because you had a good college career at Purdue. So your junior year in 2006, before you forewent your senior season and declared for the draft, the Boilermakers went eight and six, five and three in the Big Ten, and made it to the Champs Sports Bowl against Maryland. You were alongside fellow NFL stars, Pro Bowler Anthony Spencer and Super Bowl champion Cliff Averill, of course, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. So how much did you enjoy your time at Purdue? And what was it like to share that year with your teammates? Oh, man, Purdue. Purdue was great. You know, um, it's a great university, great school, obviously uh, one of the top universities out there. Uh, you know, we put the first man on the moon. I make sure I tell everybody that we nice. put the first man on the moon. Nice. And, uh, you know, uh, the football program w- when I was at Purdue was at was was actually held in pretty, pretty high regard amongst uh, Big Ten schools, you know, very, very much respected. Uh, in the national scene because we we put out a lot of good NFL players, a lot of guys who went on to have solid NFL careers, championship NFL careers. And, uh, you know, playing with uh, guys like Spence, me and Spence were roommates our first two, our first two years in college. And he never spoke. We were always like, this guy like a serial killer? Is he going to kill us? Like, he never speaks. You know, our, our our freshman year, it took us a little bit of time for him yeah. to get him to start talking, but he talked. He didn't. He was he was just being quiet because uh, he was just being quiet. But um, yeah, uh, Spencer, Anthony Spencer, great friend of mine, Cliff Averill, great friend of mine. Still talk to him to this day. Uh, you know, uh, we had uh, Kyle Orton. Uh, we had uh, guys like uh, Nick Hardwick, who were also teammates uh, during our time at Purdue. Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of guys who got drafted, a lot of guys who had lengthy careers and played, you know, played well, had solid, solid time in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, there's that, it's just that, that kind of connection you have with guys for life. Once you've, once you've played and you guys have, have been able to achieve your goals and make it to the highest level of football, uh, it really uh, is something that we, we talk about, we just kind of sometimes step back and just think about it, you know, whenever we, we, we speak on the phone or whenever we're text messaging. Uh, but, you know, it was great playing with those guys. And, and, and uh, you know, to be able to get some of the things we got done at Purdue uh, in college, it, it was really amazing. We had some good, some good memories. Nice. And obviously you individually had a great time at Purdue because on the 29th of April 2007, after a great junior season at Purdue, you're sat there in the fifth round and then your phone rings. And of course, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars who select you with 149th overall pick and make you a Jaguar for the next seven years. So how did it feel to receive that call and officially make it to the NFL? What did it mean to you and your family? Uh, Well, you know, obviously it's a dream come true. You know, like we think about this from the moment we put on pads and Mm. uh, for me, uh, you know, it was actually a bit of a surprise that Jacksonville was the one that drafted me because uh, I only talked to Jacksonville at the combine mm. and had never talked to him after that. And and the teams that were really pursuing me, uh, you know, leading up to the draft, you know, I had Kansas City, Chicago, Atlanta. Mm. Um, you know, these teams were sending me paperwork to fill out. You know, they were calling me almost, you know, two or three times a week. Uh, going into the draft and you know my agent was speaking with a lot of uh, uh, speaking with people from those from from those franchises and that was kind of the the vibe of where I was thinking I would go I was I was I didn't want to go to Chicago too cold (laughs) but I I was like Kansas City it's still cold but I you know I like that Kansas City that just the vibe of that and when, you know, Atlanta, when they were giving me all that, all that attention, I was actually like, that's where I want to go play. Yeah. Uh, 
I actually thought that that's where I was going to get drafted because the Falcons were going to actually uh, were, were using that. They were in that slot, the 149 mm-hmm. slot, and the Jaguars traded them three six-round picks to mm-hmm. move up and take me at that spot instead. So, But uh, nonetheless, man, I mean, it was a dream come true. The phone call was, you know, it was surreal. Like, I was at home in Texas. Everybody in my family is there, and, you know, it just got real quiet while I was on the phone and, you know, my dad's like walking around pumping his fists like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it really, um, it really was just one of those milestone moments that, you know, you never forget. And uh, to this day, you know, that's kind of that, that part of my, uh, I guess, loyalty as a Jaguar, part of what makes me a Jaguar is the fact that that team, you know, took a shot at drafting me, gave me the opportunity to come into the league and to play. And, you know, I was able to prosper uh, because of it. So, you know, that there's a certain amount of allegiance that you have uh, when you're given that kind of kind of opportunity by, by a franchise. So I was it was an amazing, an amazing moment. And, uh, you know, it's just something that I'll always carry with me. That's great to hear. And of course, your rookie season that followed that phone call was an extremely successful one for the team because he went 11-5 and and made it to the playoffs, beat the Steelers away in the wildcard mm-hmm. round and made it to the divisional round where you played and unfortunately came up short against the Patriots. But those are the Patriots that went 60-0 in the regular season, had nine All-Pros that year, so there's no shame in that at all. Cheated. Um, <laughs> yeah. Got caught cheating. <laughs> For sure. And I know you only played nine games that year and made one start in your rookie year, but can you describe the atmosphere throughout that season? And what was it like to be in the locker room, mate? You know, uh, that rookie year, uh, man, it was, it was unforgettable. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's weird because I still remember after we, as we're walking into the tunnel after we lost that game to, to New England, uh, one of my teammates, Tony Pashos, you know, taps me on the arm while we're walking back in. He says, uh, he says, enjoy this, Ooch. He says, win or lose, you got to enjoy this because you may never get back to the playoffs again. Mm. And at the time, I was like, ha, you see the <laughs> team we got? We're good. We're going to be back here next year too. This is, this is, this is easy. And we never made the playoffs again after mm-hmm. that, my entire career. We, we were close. We were there at the end of the season, I think like three or four years in a row. Yeah. Uh, but we never got back into the postseason. So uh, I thought that that was a special, a special season because there was just so many things that, that I there – were, there were so many things that I, I learned about how much it takes to win a football game in the NFL. And – you know, to watch how a franchise operates and is successful and overcomes, you know, disappointment. We lost to the Colts on Monday Night Football, you know, uh, and, you know, we were faced with a little bit of adversity through that, through the first half of the season. And then we were able to string together wins and we ended up, you know, 11 and five and, and really, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the atmosphere when you're in, when you're in a winning program is, yeah. is night and day between when you're in a program that's still trying to find itself. So uh, for me that, you know, I wish it would have maybe come one more or two or two or three more times. Uh, but to be able to, ex- to experience it at all, I think was, was, was something of an achievement in itself because there are a lot of players who play on teams in they, their entire career. They never even get to taste the postseason. So 
it was it was a great season. I mean, that in 2017. Yeah. Obviously, those are the two hallmark seasons for the Jaguars in the franchise's history thus far. So, um, definitely, uh, definitely was 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 an amazing time, and you know, hope hope to see it you know return sooner rather than yeah. later. Yeah. I mean, while you only played nine games that season, a couple of years on, you played a lot, lot more. You played in all 16 regular season games, made 13 starts at right guard when you won the position there, obviously opposite the late great Vince Manawai, who I'll get to very shortly. Um, And throughout the season, you only allowed half a sack and had zero penalties, which is just incredibly successful and disciplined season, to say the least. So I'd love to know, how were you able to noticeably improve your game from that point, from your second year to third year? And what was it particularly you worked on? Was there anyone that helped you? My second year, uh, I, I went in. Uh, I went in at right guard to replace uh, Maurice Williams. He tore his tricep in in warmups. Then I had to move back to left guard at the second, like in the fourth quarter of the game, <laughs> because Vince Manuai tore his ACL. So they put me, who, who me myself, I had I had injured my knee mm. in the first half, but then had to come back. Oh. And so they moved me over to go play against Albert Hainsworth in his contract year. So I'm like, wait, I'm hurt. That guy on the right side, he's not hurt. Put him over here. So yeah, so that he can you have somebody at full power who can try and handle this monster of a man. But um, <clears throat> um, from my second year to my third year, you know, honestly, man, uh, I had guys like like Vince Manuai. You know, that's the guy who took me under his wing when I uh, came to Jacksonville. He's a guy who taught me a lot of tricks in terms of, of of kinds of blocks that I can that I can use on guys and how to how to just be able to to, to give yourself uh, an advantage wherever you can during the play and what to think about for different kinds of plays to understand the concepts of it and know where you want to be at. Uh, you know, Vinny had a lot to do with me picking up the nuance of the game quick, more quickly uh, because of his experience as a starter. And, uh, you know, my four or my third season, you know, uh, when they, when they moved me to the right, uh, once Vince came back from his injury, I just felt more comfortable on the right for some, for some reason. I'm a left, I'm a lefty. So Mm. for some reason being on the left side, didn't feel quite as, 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 smooth and as balanced as I felt on the right side yeah uh but you know I I just it was just one of those things where you know every game my you know I tried to study as much film as I could against uh for for the opponents that I was going against whoever I was going to be playing against on the defensive line and I just you know tried to tried to play fast try to play with my instincts but also tried to play smart uh and and honestly I had no idea until the end of that season Mm-hmm. that I had only given up half a sack. I gave up, uh, and I remember these stats because my agent was like, this is what we use to get you paid. Like, like <laughs> you, nice. you're one of like four guards in the NFL who didn't give up one sack. So I didn't give up a sack. I gave up half a sack. I had no penalties. I had uh, only given up 11, I think 11 or 18 hits on the quarterback for the entire wow. season. Wow. And uh, on the right side of the line, Maurice Jones drew average 14.7 yards a carry. <laughs> so that's what my agent walked into the yeah. negotiating room with. Like, here, do you want, you know, we can go find somebody who will take it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, no, I think that mainly the improvement came from 
understanding how to be a professional mm. uh, and understanding the value of film, understanding how to watch it the right way, uh, communicating with teammates, understanding what not only your assignment is, but everyone's assignment. I also played center as mm. well. So I was the backup center and the starting right guard. <laughs> and uh, really, uh, it was just a matter of, of, of allowing myself to absorb information, uh, you know, take it out of the practice field, repetition with it to, 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 to create muscle memory. And, you know, I just, and I just worked, I just, I just fought out there on the field. You know, I tried to, tried to dominate the guys I went against. Hmm. Obviously we mentioned Vince Manoa there. I want to touch on that a bit more quickly because in that 2009 season, like I said, you started alongside the late great Vince Manoa, <laughs> out offensive guard, just Jags legend and number 18 on the all 25 list last summer, which was well-deserved because he was just incredible throughout his time in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course he tragically passed away in late 2018 and he sorely missed by all of us Jags fans. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rest in peace, Vinny. Absolutely. I actually have his, uh, I actually have his, uh, his memorial, his funeral, Oh. Uh, pamphlet up there on top of my dresser with my oh, stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. What was it like to play alongside Vince and how key was he as a mentor? What was he like as a guy? Oh, man, Vince. Uh, Vince was just, you know, you talk about a dude who's just, okay, so you picture a Hawaiian. You picture these big Hawaiian guys who are mm. just all laid back and chill. And Vince, you know, he was that personified but he was such a good hearted person. He just wanted to take care of, of his people. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that, you know, I really followed, I followed him around, you know, throughout the course of my first, you know, couple seasons. Like I literally would worry, what are you doing tonight, Vinny? Like mm. coming to your house, I'm coming over to the house or, you know, let's go do this. Let's go do that. Uh, and he's just a very soft spoken guy, a very, uh, very friendly, he loved gaming. We would sit, I would sit there and watch this dude play modern uh, Call of Duty for hours. And he was like, it, it looked like he would be asleep. I'd be like, because Vinny sat, when he played his games, he sat like this <laughs> and played. And I'd be like, Vinny, you awake? And he's just sitting there just killing people, gunning, gunning, gunning. Um, but, you know, just, just a guy that had – uh, he just had so much, you know, respect from his teammates. And, you know, I, he had so much love from us because he was just that kind of guy. He's a guy that it was you felt good to be around. I mean, it's hard to explain, you know, that you want to be around somebody just because you feel it feels cool. It feels yeah. good to just have them in your presence. And and that's how Vinny was. And, and Vinny was one of the few, uh, one of my few teammates that I actually talked to very regularly after I retired. So me and him, you know, I had talked to him a few weeks before he passed. And, um, you know, he was just, you know, he was, he was, he was just a warm, a warm hearted person. And, 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 you know, we missed him. Obviously we went to the, I was there at the alumni game, Mm. you know, when his, his, uh, his, his wife came uh, to represent him to, uh, for, for being in the top 25. Um, was just a great dude and you know just just a, a big just a big just a big hearted teddy bear man I love that yeah. I love that guy man I loved him I was hurt so badly when he passed um you know we all everybody on the offensive line everybody on the Jaguars we all loved him mm-hmm. and uh you know we just we just continue to try and honor his his memory mm-hmm. and remember him for for you know the great friend that he was the great teammate that he was and 
And, uh, you know, I never forget, you know, what he taught, the things he taught me. I teach those the offensive linemen now. Yeah, rest in peace, Vinny, because sadly missed. And obviously, Vinny was one of the best players you played with in Jacksonville, but he wasn't the only great player you played with in Jacksonville because you played with some fantastic players. Obviously, all-pro Fred Taylor, who's behind you on the wall, Maurice Jones-Drew, all-pro's Rasheen Mathis, yeah. Davies yeah. Lewis, Mike Peterson, David Garrard, John Henderson, like some incredible, incredible players. A lot of great players, a yeah. lot of great players. That's it. But I want to know which one of those most stuck out to you and who was the greatest ever teammate you had, ability-wise, and as an offensive guard, who was the toughest defensive lineman you ever had to block? I would say, man, it's hard to, to pick. I mean, when you talk about your teammates, you know, there are guys that you're really close with off the field. There are guys that you're close with, you know, in the locker room. But, you know, everybody has their own life outside the locker room. So some guys, you know, you don't see as much outside the locker room. But that relationship is still there. I mean, obviously, I, I think for me, if I had to pick one, uh, you know, I would pick Maurice Jones-Drew. Uh, mainly because Maurice and me have been friends. You know, we were friends and, and we were close buddies off the field mm. as well as on the field. I, I was around him uh, probably more than any other one of my teammates when it, when it came to, you know, off the field, yeah. uh, uh, you know, uh, just off the field hijinks or whatever you want to call it. But um but then, you know, guys like Mike P. Mike P. was a great teammate, you know, great guy, Big John. I, I, I just talked to Big John about a month or, about a month or so ago. Nice. You know, Big John is still, you know, he's in Jacksonville still. And, mm. you know, these are guys that you talk to because, you know, there's a brotherhood there. Yeah. Uh, Brad Meester, I've talked to him mm. since. Yeah. I've talked to – I talked to Pashos. I talked to Pashos almost regularly. <laughs> Khalif Barnes, you know, before he uh, – you know, even though he, he left uh, after my uh, – third fourth year you know Khalif we still talk still talk to him uh you know a lot of guys Daryl Smith still talk to all those guys so we had a lot of really good players on our team and, and it's and it's it's kind of a shame that the you know because the Jags are a smaller market team haven't been around as long you know these guys sometimes get overlooked but um you know no doubt make no doubt that these were guys who were among the best in the NFL at their position and uh they really were uh, you know, great, great guys as teammates, as well as, you know, people, people who, who you know, handled business within the community outside of football. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, as far as who, who's the toughest defensive lineman I went against, man, I've gone against some really good ones. Yeah. Uh, it always feels like no matter how I mean, because, you know, I played against guys and thought, well, this guy's not nearly as good as, you know, the coaches were saying he was. Or this guy is mm -hmm. just as good as the as as he looked on film, you know. But uh, you know, I, I I hadn't played against anybody on the defensive line who I felt was an overwhelming force for me mm. outside of Albert Hainsworth. Yeah. Albert Hainsworth was always just a handful, mm. and the thing about Hainsworth was that if he was motivated, if he yeah. was motivated, it was. <sighs> almost impossible it was very hard to stop him mm. and you know the first time I ever played against him he rocked my world I was just like yeah yeah this guy it's, I'm a second year player he's in his contract year this guy is is throwing me all over the place there's nothing I can do but uh as time went on you know I, I play him better and better and better and you know three years in now I'm pancaking him on some plays and I'm you know but the thing with him was you never ever want to talk
I would help him off the ground. We knew each other on first name basis. Mm. I was just, I would act like, hey, it's okay. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Because he's bipolar. You saw what he did to the Cowboys Center. He stepped yeah. on that guy's face. <laughs> and I said, you don't want him mad. We would watch film when he'd get pissed off and just start throwing linemen around the field. And, you, mm. I mean, it was ugly. Yeah. Uh, but I think from just that standpoint of having to deal with somebody who's athletic, powerful, you know, massive, uh, he would probably be the first one that I would tick. And I'm ticking, I'm talking about the Tennessee Titans, Albert Hainsworth, yeah. not the Washington Redskins, Albert Hainsworth. But, um, you know, him and uh, I think him and what, what was the defensive tackle from uh, the Cincinnati Bengals? I always mixes, I always want to say BJ Raji, but it's not BJ Raji. It's, it's uh he's still playing or not ah i don't know i don't think he's still playing now he couldn't be i mean he might be but he'd be like 14 years in by this point mm. but he was a pro bowl uh defensive tackle for the for the Bengals back mm. uh when i was playing um not peco peco was the hawaiian cat with the big hair he was the other one um but uh i those were two guys that i thought were really uh, good, really good players. Also thought that Brian Williams mm -hmm. uh, from uh, Buffalo, defensive tackle from Buffalo, I thought he was a a, a very good player. Um, uh, I, but again, like I said, when it comes to just one guy, if I have to just pick one, I would say Hainsworth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He, he was a problem. Okay, so I mean, during your time in Jacksonville, you've had some great coaches. Super Bowl champion Jack Del Rio, who was head coach throughout most of your time there. Now the DC in Washington. Dirk Cutter as your OC, who was, of course, responsible in part with uh, Carl Shanahan for that 49ers team a few years back, which was just incredible. And then Andy Heck, of course, you would have spent a lot of time with, and we were talking about just off air before we got into this. And he was obviously responsible for that offensive line that protected Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes just this mm -hmm. year. So some great, great coaches. And of course, including any others you'd like to mention that I haven't mentioned, who was responsible responsible most for your great career and which piece of advice they gave you was most useful oh man uh i i think andy heck was uh i think andy heck was is one person that i can definitely attribute a lot of my success as a player to just because of his style of coaching uh you know that guy was you know that guy to me is the best offensive line coach in the nfl Mm. Uh, I thought he was when we were in when we were when I was in Jacksonville because he just understood football past just the X's and O's like he understood why you were doing what you were doing he understood what the defense was doing and why they're doing what they're doing and how to counter those and what kind of things defeat uh, the, the the kind of schemes that defenses can come up with he took all of that knowledge that he had as a player and all the knowledge he had as an assistant going through the league and then becoming an offensive line coach. Uh, you know, he, the way that he taught us as players, he taught us uh, as if we were the quarterbacks to know every position on the field. Every offensive lineman should know what the entire offensive line responsibilities are on every play. Yeah. Uh, you should know what the defensive fronts are on every play. You should know what the coverages are. He taught us the coverages. So he would quiz us on those in meetings on what coverage is this, what coverage is that. And, you know, knowing those things, I mean, mm. you would think that it would be a little bit overkill for a player to know that a defense is in like cover three buzz or cover mm. two or 
they're running a saw dog blitz or whatever it may be. But knowing what defensive fronts teams use, why they use them, knowing what kind of blitzes they like to run, knowing what their, what their coverages look like and what their disguises for blitzes look like, all those things really did uh, make the game easier. It made it easier. I, I remember I would be at the line of scrimmage. We'd be playing like the Houston Texans, and I would just be – I mean, I called out like four or five of their defenses in a row, and they <laughs> ran those plays. And I was wow. like, wow, he was right. Yeah. It really does matter. And, and you know, it's, it's having people like that, having people like Andy, uh, you know, who I still talk to to this day. I talked to him when, the night that they won the Super Bowl. Mm. Um, you know, having somebody who can – who understands football like that, who, who understands all of the nuances mm. and, uh, and is able to teach those. Because it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to be able to teach somebody else yeah. that information as yeah. well. Uh, you know, it just, I think it speaks to, to the fact that, you know, he is, he's one of those uh, top ranked coaches at his position. You look at how his offensive linemen in Kansas city play those guys. Uh, I, I watch their games and I'm seeing exactly what I learned. Yeah. I'm seeing the same kind of movements, the same kind of blocks, the same kind of attention and awareness that's being paid to uh, paid to the defense. I see it, you know? And so, it makes me proud to have been, you know, coached by a guy like that. And uh, for me, I think that, that as far as my, me on the field, uh, Andy would be the largest influence on that. And also uh, right behind him, I would put Vince Manuai right there as well because mm, he taught me yeah. a lot of things that, yeah. that, that helped my game as well. Awesome. Okay, so my listeners know that I'm a big Jags fan, and like many of us across the globe, we uh, love having you on our O-line for those seven years, and you're quite a rare type of player in that you spent your entire career playing for one team, which is not so common nowadays, obviously, with the money and that kind of thing, and I'm sure there are many Jags fans watching this that will want to know, what do the Jacksonville Jaguars mean to you? You know, the Jaguars, you know, that's just, that's, for me, that, that's part of, part of my identity. I mean, I think that's really part of who I am, because like you said, I played my entire career there. And, uh, you know, I had a short stint in Dallas, uh, you know, after Jacksonville, and it just didn't feel the same. It didn't yeah. feel – it didn't feel – it felt vastly different being in an organization like that as compared to being in the Jaguars, you know. And there, there's something to be relished about being in that underdog position uh, at times. But uh, also just the, the relationships I had – uh, with players in Jacksonville, the relationships I had with people in the city, uh, you know, the friends I had in the city, uh, the people I'd done business with, the people that, you know, that, that I was, that I, that I was able to, you know, get to know over seven years uh, was just something that you don't normally, you know, that's not, that's not something that you always get to enjoy as a player in the NFL. You know, there are guys who bounce around from team to team all the time. Uh, and in my situation, I was lucky enough to be, somebody who played their entire career in one place and was able to have that kind of stability and was able to see some success. And then, you know, also able to learn from times when we weren't, when we weren't doing as well. And, um, you know, it really boils down to, you know, this team took a chance on drafting me and, and any draft pick that a team takes is, is an investment. It's a, it's a risk. Uh, so for the Jags to take that kind of, of risk on, on me as a player to, to, to give me an opportunity to come in and play and, and be a contributor and then be a starter and then be, you know, a core player on the team. Uh, you know, you, you kind of, that's, 
that molds who you are as a player. Like it molds your identity as a player. Mm. So for me, you know, it doesn't matter if the Jags don't win a game. Like I'm mm. still a Jags fan. Like yeah. I bleed teal, like teal and yeah. black is my thing. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it, it means a lot to me to be a part of that. You know, it means a lot to me to, 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 to really put myself, you know, to really see myself as a Jaguar, even mm. after the fact. So, um, you know, it's important. It's hugely important. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Uche, I want to end with some quick fire questions. You ready? Let's do it. Okay, favorite takeout food? Sushi. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Big or Tupac? Tupac. Favorite sports movie? Ooh, Any Given Sunday. Funniest guy in the Jags locker room? Ooh, <laughs> Paul Spicer. Best locker room prank you saw throughout your career? <laughs> uh, donut Gate. <laughs> nice. Who's your favorite NFL player of all time? Oh, favorite NFL player of all time, Steve Young. Who's the greatest offensive lineman of all time? Uh, Larry Allen. Yes or no, will Gardner Minshew be the man that gives Jacksonville our Lombardi? <laughs> really? You're going to put me on blast like that? Uh, no. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, and finally, can you give us your best do fall? Do Amazing. That's the perfect way to end it. Uche, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find you on social media, but also on your YouTube channel that I know you do some great work on? You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on, I also have a Twitch. I also have a Reddit. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I would say just type in my name because not every one of my screen names are the same. Mm. Uh, but type in my name, Uche Wanera, you'll see everything pop up. Uh, make sure you hit hit that subscribe button on YouTube, check out some videos there. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, uh, I'm all over. I'm all over as far as social media goes. Uh, but you know, I really do appreciate you having me on, man. It's good to really get to sit down and talk with somebody who's a fan somebody who's yeah. covering it. Yeah. And you know, you're all the way in, in on the, on the other side of the pond in the UK and you know, to see Jags fans is always special. Anytime I see anybody, like I've seen yeah. people, out here in Atlanta, not many, mm. but I've seen one or two where I'm walking into a store and he's wearing a Jaguars hat and I'll literally be like, the Jags. <laughs> yeah. And then walk uh, off. And he doesn't even know that he's talking to a former player. Mm -hmm. I just like, go Jags and then walk off. And, you know, so it's always good to have, to have, to be able to talk to somebody uh, who is, who's, who's also uh, so enthusiastic about the Jaguars. Of course, man. Yeah. Thanks again for your time and stay safe and keep doing your thing. Absolutely, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. That was my interview with the incredible Uche Waneri, a fantastic player who helped out my favourite team massively over the course of his seven years there, and an even better guy who's now enjoying podcasting and content creation of his own on his own YouTube channel. Definitely go and check that out if you want to see some more of Uche. I've got many more great guests coming very soon, so stay tuned right here on Seb Talk Sports. And to take us out as usual, here's another brilliant track by all-pro New York Giants running back turned music creator and friend of the show, David Wilson. Catch you soon, guys. Thank you.